0: Whose void this is, I do not know. The planet's writhing down here, though. No one will see me stopping here To watch the air fill with COO. My little squid must think it queer To stop without a guidepost near Between Martian and Venerian wake, A darkened planet filled with fear. He gives his harness bells a shake To ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweet, uneasy wind and bitter flake. The void is lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and voids to embrace before I sleep, and voids to embrace before I sleep. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome friends to episode 17 of Embrace the Void. Slap on your gloves, it's gonna get slippery. I'm your host, Aaron, and standing vigil on the West Shore as my co-host GW. How you doing this? How's the semester treating you, G-Dubs?
1: Oh, uh, it's kicking my ass, man. Yeah, I feel you. The void is kicking my ass, but I'm doing pretty well. I know. Hard working educators out there, right? Yeah. Well, all weekend, we had a cat, one of my cats peed on the couch three days in a row. Had a dog mm-hmm. who had diarrhea and it was pooping all over the place. It was just like, wasn't getting sleep. I had to hang a show. It's been a whole thing. Oh, that's brutal. Hopefully, it'll settle
0: down a little bit.
1: Yeah, should be fine. Yeah. Uh, Well,
0: we got lots of fun stuff to cover today. First of all, I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Anthony Fortier, who gave us that wonderful suggestion for the invocation and sent us a translation of um, Frost. So we'll link that in the show notes. Uh, And we've also got a fan question. So that's super exciting. So we're going to start off with that.
1: Yeah, we need more fan questions. We've had a few, but uh, you can email us at voidpod at gmail.com. Or any of our other social media stuff.
0: Yep, hit us up up on the Twitters or the Facebooks. We'll try to get it on here. Uh, So this one comes from Ben Hux on Facebook. Um, And he says uh, he was hoping that we could talk a little more after the interview uh, where we talked about cheating on one's spouse and how that would necessarily make a feminist uh, a hypocrite. So he says, what if both or neither of the people involved in the relationship are women? With the context uh, around especially the reasons for the cheating matter, he says, uh, why was it just uncritically accepted as a purist absolute that cheating is not okay or not inconsequential? Uh, I'm not condoning cheating. and I presume specific behavior in question, if true, caused a lot of pain. I would just like to hear more thoughts on the topic, which I think is a great question. And it was one that you had been worrying about. So why don't you take a crack at it?
1: Yeah. uh Yeah. Uh, I wish Bethany was on because I think she'd have some uh, we'd have a great conversation about this uh, when she said it I sort of thought like I don't know if I believe that but then we moved on to something else and uh you know in the heat of the moment sometimes like you're thinking one thing and then you get a new thing and I don't think I agree with the idea that cheating in and of itself is misogynistic uh, or sexist in any way um I think that there are circumstances where it could be but I uh, I don't think the act in and it of itself is, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, case in point, uh, it's a relationship between two men or two women or uh, two non-binary people, you know, or any, any combination there. And so I'm not sure if if that's the case. And uh, I th- which is, seems like the heart of the question.
0: Yeah. If I wanted to uh, make the argument Uh, I was trying to think about how I would try to make this. I think what I would say is, if you're a feminist, amongst the things you take very seriously are self-determination and autonomy and the freedom of individuals to choose for themselves. And that includes honesty with regard to your relationships. So if you deny the person you're in a relationship with the chance to say, I'm not okay with this, or I don't want you to do that or something you deny them in a sense you disrespect their autonomy and so that makes you i think hypocritical even if the people involved aren't necessarily men or women because as a feminist you've you've said it's important to me that consent be given priority within relationships and cheating on people is a form of denying them the chance to consent or not yeah and i
1: guess we also like don't know the full context like you know if Again, we still don't know if this is true or not. If if Josh Josh is actually uh uh, mm-hmm. uh is actually committed to these things, and, and I'm not suggesting that he hasn't either. Right? We don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. But we also don't know the context. Assuming, let's just assume for the sake of argument that it's that it did happen. We don't know like how soon did his wife find out? Like, did he and did was he the one that he told? Like, did he tell her like the night after it happened or whatever? And like, hey, this happened. I'm sorry or whatever. So I don't I don't think we know enough of the context for to make a determination either way.
0: Um yeah, I'm just saying in the hypothetical, how would it how could it be possible that this might in theory violate the the moral principle? The code of feminism. Would, yeah, that anyone who was supposed to be a feminist should buy into certain basic tenets, and cheating by its very nature violates some of those tenets. So I think that would be the the philosophical argument. And then, of course, you know, in practice, I think, if, if the cheating involves some sort of misogyny or anti-feminist behavior or something like that, then that's going to be more explicit. But I can understand how you could argue that uh, the idea would make someone uh, anti-feminist or, or hypocritical, at least as a feminist, no matter what the genders are that people have involved.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: I think that's possible.
1: Yeah. Huh. Great. So. Awesome question.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that, Ben. That was really great. So uh, on to, I guess, we got to finally suck it up and do it. Let's do some void news.
1: Yay! It's like I'm in a black void trying to reach the news story. Ah! But this, this is just news, and I don't get lost in all the bullshit. So there's a bunch of people who are uh, doing um, as bad or potentially worse than Flint. Mm -hmm. Little known place called Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico's really bad. And it was like, the last time I didn't want to talk about things, I didn't want to talk about DACA, and that hasn't gotten any better. And in the meantime, Puerto Rico's gotten much worse. Yeah, but it's okay. A bunch of people tried to pray the hurricane away, so that yeah. happened. Um, yeah, and I definitely, I there's a lot of, there are
0: people trying to bring attention to the situation in Puerto Rico. None of them are the president, unfortunately. But amongst the people trying to bring attention, uh, you know, lots of respect for that, and if you have a chance and can throw money any anywhere, I think Puerto Rico is going to be the place where people are actually going to need some really serious help. I think what I understand they're they're on the brink of a really serious humanitarian crisis and it would be, and they're in a situation where because of their territory status, they don't necessarily have as much political access to the resources that they're going to need to rebuild. So they really are probably going to need the help the most.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, not to sort of steer the conversation away from Puerto Rico or the attention or the money from Puerto Rico, but it's interesting how uh, the U S has this very reactionary way of like helping, right? When, when there's a hurricane, uh, people are quick to sort of help out like in the heat of the moment. Right. But when there's this slow problem, like climate change or a slow problem uh, that doesn't seem to have a violent impact like Flint, Michigan, uh, The response is usually null and void. Sure. And like you can also
0: point out that uh, Donald Trump was willing to pay a lot of attention to Puerto Rico when the threat was that it was going to be bombed or something like that. But when it becomes, uh, you know, helping them rebuild from a hurricane, all of a sudden his attention is not as focused.
1: His attention is on someone not standing for a song. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're not going to. We're not going to talk about that in our news segment because that's gotten plenty of coverage. And while I don't think that it is actually a distraction, I think we're going to prove that it's not a distraction by not getting distracted by it. You're a distraction. Um, your face is a distraction.
1: You're a towel. <laughs> um,
0: there, are much, there are other horrible, worse things to talk about. You know? So um, beyond Puerto Rico, there is um, the concerns about North Korea that have just been building and building and i think are no signs of slowing down.
1: Yeah, i'm i'm totally in the camp. I'm in the worst t- timeline camp. Like i mm-hmm. am all aboard that freight train that is going it's barreling off of a
0: cliff. Oh, that's hard not to be. And of course the worst timeline is you imagine in Trump's mind he's still saying to himself the way to get out of this investigation, this Mueller investigation
1: is to start a fucking war and he's going to do it and we're fucked. Yeah. And if there's so, any silver lining or I- I don't know what the right color would be, but if there's some colorful lining to to this dark cloud, it would be that they resorted to like name calling, which is surprisingly hilarious. Like he called him Rocket yeah. Man. Like yeah. I can't help but like the darkest part of my humor, can't help but giggle at that. Yeah, I love that he went for the Elton John
0: quote and Kim Jong Un responded with a word that Donald Trump probably doesn't know. That was, that was a serious was a What was a it? I can't he called him a dotard. Oh, right. A, do- a
1: dotard. Right.
0: I'm not sure what the,
1: I also think it's interesting as well I that, saying, uh, right. uh, I can't remember where I heard this, so I'm not taking credit for it, but how no longer does Kim Jong-un need to sort of twist American words uh, to show them to his people to try to make them think that the U.S. is a terrible place. Uh, he right. could just literally just show the clip. From the UN of Trump talking, and that's yes. all he has to do. That's
0: it. Yeah, absolutely, yep. And and he really like if there's any reason that he's suddenly being belligerent, it's because he thinks he's finally got a situation where he can provoke some sort of irrational response and and get the advantage, get some sort of strategic advantage, because he's certainly not interested in a first strike, because then he's just going to get himself murdered. Um. So I'm, I can't I can't imagine why else, other well, other than that, he thinks that. Donald Trump is the unhinged narcissist we all know him to be, and that he can he can wheedle him the same way that a bunch of other people have been wheedling him since he took office.
1: And the sad thing is, like, he's going to be that like stereotypical bully gets sort of uh, uh, smacked down by the little kid, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know that that typical big bully is yelling at this kid, and 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 then the kid fights back and throws a punch and. It gets knocked down or whatever, right? Except instead of a punch, it's gonna be a fucking nuclear bomb. Yeah, it's horrifying. And in the meantime, I'm not sure Mueller's gonna get be able to get there fast enough.
0: Like, I think Muller's gotta build his case iron ironclad and and I, I think it's quite possible at this point that um Paul Manafort's gonna do the Ollie North thing. There's been some discussion on the on the the void verse about whether or not he's gonna actually flip on Trump or whether he's going to try to wait out for a pardon or something like that. So there's, there's a lot of back and forth there. And I think it's going to slow Mueller down enough that if Trump wants to, he
1: can escalate some sort of violent conflict in the meantime.
0: Yeah. And then, and then claim that he needs to be left alone to, to solve that conflict.
1: Yeah. I think to quote one of my favorite philosophers of all time, Mueller needs to move on her like a bitch. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, horrifying.
0: We voted for it. We still did it. After we heard that recording, we thought, yep, he's probably better in person. Or, like, he'll be better once he's taken office. He won't still be this monster. But
1: no. It's all true.
0: It's all true, and we get to watch it unfold in horrifying slow motion. Um, you know, I mean, the one, the one silver, the other silver lining I'll throw out there is that Collins and... Murkowski and McCain have continued to be against murder care. Um, so we all get to continue to have mediocre health insurance for a while longer. And maybe one day have the dream of maybe considering talking about having
1: a public option. Oh, yeah, man. Single if we're payer. really
0: good, if we're so good, we're never going to get to have it.
1: I, I want to start figuring out like the conservative argument for it. Like, I think there's an easy conservative conservative argument for single payer, and that is no longer will employers have to be in charge of health care. No longer will employers have to pay for health care. It'll just be everyone gets it through the government because we're all paying for it anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that's where things will go eventually. And I think the, the easy argument to make in the meantime is give us a public option and let the market sort it out. Yeah. So if private health insurance is really going to be better than public health insurance. Put them both on the market next to each other, let them compete, and let's see what happens.
1: Or you can just shut down the website when people are supposed to sign up for it.
0: Or you can just slowly try to make people so miserable that they accept some sort of, I don't even know what, like what do they think people are going to like accept once they've deprived them of the basic possibility of some amount of Financial security. What is the goal? What is the end game there?
1: Well, w- when they're assholes. surrounded by all of their <laughs> guns, they'll just be able to consume the guns for sustenance. Right. They'll be able to shoot
0: healing bullets at each other. <laughs> Team Fortress style. <laughs> <laughs> like like shooting bullets at a hurricane. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Shall we, shall we move on to our main segment?
1: Yes. So the, teach me. Today. Oh, great Buddha. Oh, great. Buddha, 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 Buddha. Rockin' uh, everywhere.
0: What's Chang doing? He's
1: getting a refill
0: on his void. Yeah, so we're gonna do another void philosophy segment. This was a request from a while ago when we first started talking about uh, acceptance and things, about uh, basic intro to Buddhism. So this is uh, a really great topic for us because a lot of my philosophy, which means a lot of the void philosophy, uh, ends up drawing back to a lot of Buddhist kinds of arguments. So I'm excited to talk about this. I want to uh, give a quick shout out at the beginning and say I did an episode on Buddhism's view of selfhood and the no self doctrine on uh, the podcast, The Philosopher Guy. That was episode six. So if you want to hear a little more about this afterwards, uh, but obviously, of course, I've saved all the, the really key insights for y'all because y'all are my favorites.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm so. guessing he got like second string. Like, second string Aaron, and we're getting first string Aaron.
0: Yeah, it was sort of a warm-up kind of thing, and now we're really ready is, to roll.
1: Is it like, are we getting standing Aaron or kneeling Aaron? It's like like a deep squat, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe a little dab, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Alright, so, uh, maybe start with a little bit of, like, who's the Buddha? Yeah, uh, And go from there. Though, I mean, ironically, that's like the least important thing the Buddha would say, because the Buddha doesn't want to be worshipped and isn't considered, doesn't consider itself himself
1: to be a deity. He's just sort of a guy who managed to do a thing. But isn't uh, like, I might be going completely off track here, but sure. isn't like the goal, like, they, isn't Buddhism partially also believe in reincarnation and that eventually you work your way up to be the Buddha? Or am I getting that completely wrong?
0: No, I mean, yes, that is all true. They believe in a form of reincarnation. We'll get to saying okay. how that actually works with their view that there is no self. But they do believe in cycles of rebirth, though not in a good way. They don't think it's a good thing. They think the goal is to help everyone get out of the cycles of rebirth by helping everybody become a Buddha. Uh, but they don't think that being a Buddha is some sort of magical thing, they think it's something that normal human beings can accomplish within a single lifetime even. The Buddha himself being a normal human being who achieved enlightenment in his life. Great. Yeah, so he's originally this guy named Siddhartha uh, Gautama who was born somewhere around, I think, 563 and then lived on normal... uh, uh, BCE. BCE. Or BCE, I should say. This is way before Jesus and the types. Um, And Buddha was born into a fairly high class. Uh, He lived a life. So the the story goes, he lived a life of uh, blissful happiness, living in a compound where he never experienced any of the negative parts of life during his upbringing. So he never experienced people being unhappy, basically. Uh, And over the course of that time, he became very smart and very proficient. And then one day he went out into the world and in walking in the world, he encountered people getting old and getting sick and dying. And this made him suddenly aware of the realities of suffering in the actual world, which brought him to contemplate uh, everything he knew, which brought him in turn to uh, attempt to achieve and then achieve enlightenment and then to spread that enlightenment to others.
1: So it's almost like growing up in a, super religious family and then getting out and going to college and then realizing, Oh, they didn't know shit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He basically went to college and, and,
1: uh,
0: you know, read some, some intro philosophy texts and found himself, some, followed experimented. Some <laughs> yeah. Sat under a tree and retweeted some nihilist memes. <laughs> Watch the Lebowski on repeat. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that'd be so good. Uh, so, right, so the Buddha uh, wanted to give this enlightenment to other people and so tried to help structure it into a, a method of understanding what he had come to understand after experiencing these negative things and meditating and considering different methods. Uh, he comes down with these ideas. It starts off with what's something called the Four Noble Truths, which is like, uh, it's often described as like a medical analysis where he's the the buddha is to be understood as a doctor who's diagnosing a problem and presenting a solution for that problem so the first noble truth is the truth of suffering or called, it's called dukkha which is that you know existence is suffering and that it, suffering permeates through existence
1: yes existence is pain we all know this to be true
0: right the me sikhs are, are well-known buddhists oh my god i'm all cut up on rick and More-y. i'm sorry oh yeah no, no, it's okay. Not to detract. It's more important than literally any other thing. We got to gotta talk, talk about, about that later. We're never going to have enough time to talk about it. We need way more dimensions. Yep. Uh, so we have the the doctrine of suffering. So first he diagnoses the problem. The problem is suffering, and then he says, "What is the root of suffering?" So the second noble truth is to look at the roots of suffering and the, the roots Jews. of suffering. Jews. Oh no, sorry, sorry. It's, sorry, It's always the Jews. The Jews are the cause of all suffering in the world. Yes. Uh, ironically, you're not that far off, right? Because the the things uh, the, the the cause of suffering is attachment. Right, and Jews are covetous, so it all ties together.
1: Atta- an attachment to anything, everything. Um. Yes, uh,
0: yes, and also specifically some things. So literally, attachment to anything, because the Buddhists believe that nothing is permanent, and so attachment, grasping after literally anything, can cause suffering because that thing is inevitably going to go away, and you'll be unhappy, uh, or. You want something that isn't here, and that's making you unhappy.
1: What if but. you're attached to a, an attachment?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you can, you can get there. let get meta. We'll get you to questions like that. You start slow, buddy, right? Okay, this, is okay. intro, this is intro course. Okay. Okay. They, they have answers for your fancy little questions. <laughs> um, right. But the problem is attachment, and, and the main attachments are attachment to the Belief in an enduring self and then the needs that will, uh, that have to be met in order for that self to be happy. So, the belief that you exist and that you need certain things in order to be happy and persist,
1: right? And I'm assuming the exception would be like the need or an attachment of things that require you to exist, like air and water and food, and so. What they are concerned about is the
0: kind of attachment that makes you anxious or miserable at the loss of a thing. So even mm-hmm. if it is something that is essential to you, they would want you to sort of cultivate the kind of lack of attachment where if it comes time where you can no longer have that thing, you don't, for example, have fear of death. Oh, right? so, so fear of death is a main kind of attachment that they are going to help you want to try to work out of by the understanding of um, you, don't, you don't exist, you're no, you, there's no self. So, I understand. Yeah. So the, uh, the three main roots that they point to are ignorance. So ignorance of impermanence and these sorts of things, uh, hatred and desire. So desiring after things can be a kind of attachment. Hatred, the aversion to things can be a, an attachment because you want those things to go away. And then ignorance of, the nature, the impermanence of things can lead to all sorts of kinds
1: of suffering. I'm with making, it.
0: Yeah, making, making sense so far? Yeah, right. no,
1: I'm with you. I'm actually yeah, following for once.
0: <laughs> no, it's cool. And that's the cool thing about the Buddha as a doctor is that it's a very straightforward diagnosis. And especially, I think, in the modern age, it, it makes a lot of sense to a lot of people pretty naturally. Uh, so the third, the third noble truth is the cessation of suffering. So we've diagnosed the problem, we've found its root, and now we say there is a method by achieving the cessation of suffering, which comes from the cessation of attachment. So becoming unattached to your sense of self, becoming unattached to um, what is going on around you or your desire for what is going on around you to be a certain kind of way, all that kind of, the more you can let go of your make your desire to make the world the way you want it to be. Mm. Right. And that obviously can raise some concerns about, well then you give up on social justice or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's oh, like
1: uh, it's like an uh, acceptance to an extreme.
0: Yes, acceptance is a really key part of this, and it's a very, very deep level of acceptance. Now, the goal, especially for most Buddhists, is to take this acceptance and turn around and use it to help others to also achieve acceptance. So... Uh, going out and helping others is still going to be an important part of the process after you've achieved enlightenment. Not not for all Buddhists, but for most Buddhists, uh, there are sects of Buddhism where once you achieve enlightenment, you just peace out and you're done. But for most, for the for the mainstream Buddhists today, the 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 goal is get your own internal self in order, in the sense of recognizing that there is no internal unchanging self, and then help other people to secure their lack of no self. Hmm. Right, and then you get there through what they call the uh the eightfold path which is a uh, you know eight method eight, eight things you want to do in order to get right with your get right with the world and achieve buddhahood in the sense of no longer having these attachments so that includes uh, right understanding right intention right speech right action right livelihood right efforts, right mindfulness, and right concentration.
1: So if I were to sort of summarize, it's like, you should get your shit together. Get it all together, put it in a backpack, get all your shit so it's together. And if you got to take it somewhere, take it sober, you know, take it to the shit store and sell it, or put it in a shit museum. I don't care what you do, you just got to get it all together. Get your shit together.
0: Exactly.
1: Yep, that's, that's pretty much the whole
0: deal here. Uh and, and the key way to get your shit together here is to recognize that there is no permanent, unchanging self. Right.
1: And then you must kill all the Jews. And then kill all the Jews. Yes. yes. So r- 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 run them run them through it again. There was acceptance. No, what was the first one? I lost it. Which ones? It was the, the four, four right? noble truths.
0: The four yeah. noble truths. Right. So suffering exists. Suffering the acceptance. root of suffering is attachment. attachment. In the forms of acceptance, desire, ignorance, desire, hatred. Right. The cessation of suffering comes from non-attachment, including non-attachment from the self, which leads to nirvana or no mind. And then this is achieved through the eightfold path of right behaviors in all ways. Great, and that's and this is evolving. This this is a response tradition. So much like. The Taoists respond to the Confucians over in uh, the Chinese tradition. Here, this is in the Indian tradition. This is a response to Hindu philosophies, all of which center strongly around the idea that a stro- that an independent, permanent, eternal self does exist. And that that key insight is the way that we achieve enlightenment. And that's Hinduism? That's Hinduism, correct. There
1: are lots of traditions that's, that's within what Hinduism. the... the- uh, what's her name? Kirshna? Is it Kirshna? Uh,
0: so it's, I mean, it's a little more, it's the so arm, they, they, it's the
1: arm thing, right? Uh,
0: Brahman, Brahman's the one you're looking Damn for. it! Yeah, you're getting,
1: getting all, all my, all my deities wrong.
0: Yeah, there are lots and lots of deities within the uh, Hindu tradition, uh, but the, for, for, for the purposes of understanding their position about the self, the, the main view is there is the Atman, which is the internal, Permanent, unchanging self that exists in you—a soul, basically. Their name for a soul. Unless you're and- a woman. <laughs> 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 oh, you are terrible tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: you're d- d- hitting the bottle pretty hard. I haven't been getting much sleep. <laughs> no, I, I get sassy when I get tired. You get you get sexist when you get tired. Yes. Yes.
0: Um. So, yeah, so they believe, so the Hindus believe there's a soul and that it connects to the eternal, overarching soul, which they call Brahman, and that this is permanent and unchanging, and that the more you can recognize how that is your true self and not the changing, uh, intermittent self that we experience on a day to day basis, that's their way to achieve enlightenment. The Buddhists say there's no such fucking thing. There's no self in the sense of a permanent persisting kind of self. There's just experiences that arise and fall away in clusters, and that's all there ultimately is. And once you can recognize that and truly accept that, then you will be at peace and and able to help others.
1: Yeah, and if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of Buddhism, a lot of this sort of adapting your mental state, uh, mostly trying to adapt Mm -hmm. to... The attachment is through meditation right
0: yeah and that's one of the great things about the buddhist as an empirical system is that the buddha wants you to test these things it's not a take my word for it kind of system the buddha says if the things that i tell you don't make sense don't believe them so they they set out these rigorous systems of varying types that are meditation that help you to achieve forms of non-dual consciousness as they call it where the sense of the separation between the self and the other drops away and you have a radical sort of feeling of interconnectedness. Uh, So that can be one kind of meditative practice or just very basic kinds of breathing meditations that help you control and calm the natural responses that arise in the interaction with the other. Hmm. Um, So even if you don't buy into the really ridiculous out there, there is no self kind of stuff, which I think is very useful, but can feel a little metaethically weird to some, or metaphysically weird to some people. I, I, even if you don't buy into that, all of that, the day-to-day meditative practices of Buddhism can still be a very useful psychological practice for untangling our um, instinctive and often unhealthy. Or, or dysfunctional reactions to things. In
1: a way, it's like yoga. We're like you don't have to believe all the stuff about yoga, but it's good stretching.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I think I think a little more so with this than yoga. There's the, the beliefs can be help can be really important. though I don't. I mean, I should take that back. I take that all back. Right before Sonia hears that, I take that all back. The beliefs are very important in yoga as well. Um, in both cases, they are important but there are varying degrees in which you might need to dive into the more obscure metaphysics if you want to or
1: not. Interesting. Um, have you, or, th- yeah. this, this might be tangential, but uh, I think I, I messaged you about this when it first came out. Uh, uh, Kamari, uh, oh, what was it called? It's like a documentary that was on Netflix,
0: the fake documentary guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I love have, that one. Yeah. It was pretty interesting for those that may not know. It's a really interesting documentary. This guy thinks that like, Yoga and all this, like spiritual stuff, is a bunch of bullshit. So, he invents this fake religion, spirituality kind of thing and pretends to be this yogi who's all knowing in a way to, and sees if he can get people to follow him. And, like, throughout doing it, he starts sort of noticing a change in himself. And it's really interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah,
0: it's a great video. And then he, he reveals it, and then the, the fallout and the coming back. It's very, it's a great movie. Um, I recommend it. Uh, void stamp of approval. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Buddhism, like I say, is very much of a void philosophy. One of my favorite Buddhist philosophers is Nagarjuna, who is the Lord of Snakes, which mm. is super cool. Some of the like when you get into some of the funny stuff, the Buddhists have like weird stories about their the enlightened figures and what magical powers they acquire when they become enlightened. All of which is, I think, personally, I take as metaphor for. You know storytelling about the kind of capacities that one achieves when one becomes really uh, when when one gets really developed in uh no mind and these kind of things so nagarjuna supposedly got secret uh scripts secret sutras from snakes the snakes came and told him were they on golden golden plates snakes on golden plates (laughs) uh but but what i love about nagarjuna he was really a, a very strong philosopher and Uh, sort of predates Hume, and and it's a couple of important arguments. Uh, But what ties this into the void for us is that Nagarjuna really emphasized the Buddhist idea of emptiness, saying that things are ultimately empty all the way down, and the idea here is what they are empty of is independent existence. Mm. So there is no separate you or me or even like separate, like the table or the, the thing in and of itself. There's no separate things that are independent of the other things around them. There's just this radically interconnected codependently arising is how the Buddhist puts it a uh, set of emergent features or qualia that uh, all come together to create our experience. But when we try to separate them out, that abstraction Pulls us away from the fundamental reality itself to some extent. Uh,
1: this might be this might be a little off off topic, but it sort of reminded me of Have you heard of the expression "turtles all the way down"? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, could, do you mind? I, I don't know it well enough to sort of explain it. Could you possibly explain it to our listeners?
0: Sure. This is the the guy comes to uh, I want to say it's India. He's talking to a, a Hindu guy, actually. I think, and he's there. Um, talking about the nature of existence. And so he asks him, what does existence depend on? He says, well, existence sits on the back of a giant turtle. And the guy says, okay, so what does the turtle sit on the back of? And he says, oh, well, it, it sits on the back of another giant turtle. And the guy says, okay, well, what is that second turtle? He says, let me stop you there. I know where you're going with this. It's turtles all the way down.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think what I heard it, it was something like it was a flat earth that was supported by a turtle, but it's it's sort of the same idea, right? Yeah. It's this, just the, it's just turtles yeah. all the way down. Right. Like, the, like don't don't worry this, about that part, right? Right. And
0: and that's an interesting reference because the Hindus will say, right, there there is Atman, there is selfhood all the way down, there is independent selfhood that is permanent and unchanging. And that seems reasonable to them. It can be a lot weirder to say there is emptiness all the way down, which is the Buddhist position. And again, they mean empty of independent selfhood. There is only interconnected flux all the way down.
1: You know, I now feel, I, know, I now know how Thomas feels when he says something uh, law-y to Andrew. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. Andrew's like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I pulled yep. that. We've never even talked
0: about that. Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot of embracing the emptiness here, right? That The (laughs) Buddha says, when you understand codependent arising, you understand my view. Uh, And you can can see how this kind of view, this interconnectedness kind of view, uh, would lead to a very sympathetic, compassionate kind of ethics, which is what actually happens. So once you've recognized that you are not separate from the rest of everyone else, that that is an illusion, you become increasingly concerned about the well-being of everyone and not just yourself, you become really a much better utilitarian. The Buddhists are all utilitarians. They think that uh, all suffering should be alleviated and the location of the suffering is unimportant, and it is your job for the rest of however long it takes
1: to alleviate all suffering. Well, let me ask this. Like, playing devil's advocate, how is it that if one of the truths is unattachment... Uh, or that attachment is bad and causes suffering then wouldn't you have then an attachment to try to relieve suffering like how how does yeah. it, how does it not become a completely selfish sort of philosophy sure and that's
0: where you have to really parse that acting without attachment kind of thing where you're you are still acting in the world you don't check out from the world But you recognize, for example, that it's the acceptance thing, right? You recognize that your ends are going to be hard, maybe even impossible to achieve, but you will work to do them anyway and you won't be miserable in the meantime, right? So it's the difference between being unhappy until everyone achieves enlightenment or non-attaching from even your own need to help others achieve enlightenment and then paradoxically being more functional at helping others achieve enlightenment okay Does
1: that makes sense cool. yeah absolutely
0: yeah and like the early buddhists sort of had the same idea that you had they had the theravadan buddhists who are the second sort of most popular sect at this point after the mahayana which is the main um central uh structure at this point point. and the the theravadans thought once you achieve enlightenment you you achieve um uh the enlightened state and you just you leave you're done no mind you're gone you're not in this world anymore The bodhisattva is the term for the Mahayana self. Once it becomes enlightened, you stick around as a bodhisattva to help others. And so you say if you're a Buddhist, you're on the bodhisattva path, which means I am working towards my enlightenment for the sake of helping all sentient beings achieve enlightenment.
1: And that just sounds badass. I just imagine someone like with bodhisattva tattooed on their chest. Yeah, bodhisattva is a really cool word, and I think everyone should get super into that. I, I like want to have a company named that. Bodhisatt. Bodhisatt.
0: Uh, so yeah. So what else? Questions.
1: Yeah. So t- can you talk to me about like where does the whole kung fu Buddhist monk thing come into play? <laughs> S- sure. So like Buddhism,
0: <laughs> Buddhism spreads from India out into Tibet and China and um, Japan, and it morphs into a bunch of different kinds of mixed. Uh, traditions like zen buddhism some of which like zen buddhism are very very weird very out there uh and then yeah some of those become kung fu masters (laughs) (laughs) right great story right cool story bro cool story bro uh a couple let's see what else we need to talk about let's talk about uh conventional truth and ultimate truth that can be another important one uh the idea that so this sort of gets more at your question again of um how do you continue to live in the world, right? So the Buddhists will say there are two important truths. There is the level of ultimate truth at which selves don't exist, that ultimately it's, they would say, just dharmas arranged person-wise. Dharmas are just moments of experience that flash into and out of existence. There's no permanent things. And then you have the the, the realm of conventional truth where we still experience ourselves as being selves. And need and have hunger and don't want to die yet and still want to help people and that sort of thing. And at that level, we can still talk about what could be functional and how to live at that level. And we can try to do it while still remaining aware of the ultimate level of truth that allows us to not be attached to the conventional truth and forget that it's just a level of truth. It's one, one stage.
1: So is it like like a physical... Like the physical and the spiritual, or the physical and the and the psychological? Not necessarily. I guess I'm sort
0: of lost. Yeah, no, I guess what I'm trying to get at is just the, the idea that some people get worried when they when we say, oh, there's no self, they mean like, well, then who's experiencing any of this? And so I think to some extent as a Buddhist, I think we have to concede that there is what's called the witnessing consciousness, which is where... It's the the sort of most stripped down idea of a self as just the location in which experiences cluster. It's the first person givenness of those experiences. So when you sit where you are sitting and you look out and you see this field of vision and you hear these words coming in and you have these particular internal states of hunger or something like that, the the part of you that is literally just the thing witnessing and observing that stuff it does seem exists but exists only in a dependent way like it exists only in so long as there are things to be experienced does that make a little bit more sense yeah I, no I'm yes a more yeah, yeah, that, yeah. right so the conventional ultimate truth one way to understand it is to say we don't mean that there's no f- sense of first person givenness for your experiences What we mean is that sense of first-person givenness doesn't mean there's an independent self in there that has free will and ultimate control and uh, is permanent and
1: unchanging. So it's almost like, if if I can cut you off, it's almost like they're trying to make the argument that there's not a duality between a conscious self and a physical self, that there is the physical self and that it is an actual a uh, 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 tangible thing, but the experiences are not separate from that. Is that is that yes. like a, a and, terrible I mean, way to try to explain it?
0: No, I mean one level of it is, is is sort of exactly along the lines that you're thinking, where the the physical self exists, but also is just a abstraction of that radically interdependent feel because right your cells are always sort of sh- uh, sloughing off of your body and you're breathing in and out oxygen and, and co2 and like you're constantly in flux with your environment there's no real hard boundaries they would say uh it's the way they would make the argument and then the same thing with the mind the mind and the body and the other the really important non-dual distinction they want to break down is that the the space between the self and the other should collapse, and that ultimately there is no, there's no separation between the two of them. At the separation we currently experience is an illusion that was useful over the course of biological evolution, but is less useful when trying to achieve a state of less suffering.
1: Okay, I'm with you now.
0: Yeah, that makes some sense? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's basic meditative practice. So the thing I really recommend for people who are interested in what we've been talking about is a... a very simple seated meditation or lying I like prefer lying down because I don't I get uncomfortable with my back when I sit for a long periods of time and you just close your eyes and just focus on your breathing and the goal here is to peacefully maintain your attention on your breathing so when I say peacefully I mean when you notice that your mind wanders as it inevitably will you let it slowly come back to your breathing without being angry that you've gotten distracted or frustrated or attached to the need to come back around to that breathing kind of quickly.
1: That it's interesting. Sense. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it does. Uh, when I was in grad school, um, one of the semesters, I took a Hatha yoga class. Mm-hmm. And um, for those of you that may not be familiar with it, most, most people do vinyasa yoga, which is this, like, you don't hold positions for very, very long, and it's, and you're moving. It's much more sort of physically engaging while hatha yoga you sort of hold position for multiple minutes and do a lot of breathing inside of it and like they talk about sort of your mind may wander and that's okay and then and then they sort of let you sort of just experience that and they go like all right come back to to yourself come back to this place slowly and then we're going to slowly release from this hold and so on and so forth mm-hmm.
0: yeah and that uh not forcing it is the real important yeah sort of insight here and not and not making an egoic thing so the the buddhist insight about the non-attachment stuff can be really important when we're talking about beliefs for example people get really attached to their particular beliefs and the need for those to be true and so when their experiences with reality come into conflict with those beliefs that can produce a great deal of suffering so learning to, to disattach from your your dharmas or your dogmas as part of your
1: identity can be very important for this process. Or or that your favorite sports ball player may actually have a political opinion. Just, it, just let it go. Just detach from that. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> bringing it back. <laughs> bringing it back. And then once you've attached from the fact that you can't solve institutional racism overnight try to help solve it in what little bits that you can by by doing you know whatever whatever is available to you
1: yeah by taking a video of yourself burning a Colin Kaepernick jersey that that helps it makes things better super dark (laughs) uh
0: oh and you had a question about reincarnation which we just talked about um yeah so the the buddhist short answer for well if there's no self what's being reincarnated Right, which seems a very reasonable question at this point that the Hindus will level at them repeatedly, is uh, causal dense causal nexuses exist, but they're not selves. They're not independent, eternal, unchanging selves. So it's sort of like you've got this big system that's all in flux and forces pushing on each other, and sometimes that gets really, really condensed, and it creates the illusion of a self, and that illusion of self has an experience of being a self and having a life and persisting up until the point when they die at which point the bundle of experiences that they were part of might reform or persist or some some weird balance it doesn't persist cuz nothing persists every time but like in the sense of it might restructure itself in some sort of way that creates the other another illusion of self but there's no there's nothing in there that's permanent and unchanging that can carries over from one life to another.
1: So it's almost like like the second edition of a book. Some of it might remain, some of it might not. We might change the pictures a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's no... But the words yeah. on the page are not the book. Right. But they po- are the book. Pointing to the moon. You are a book.
0: Your face is a book. <gasps> Thanks. <laughs> An open book to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think that that lays out the basics. I think that gives people a sense of, and if people have any questions about uh, Buddhism, or, we'll certainly, I think, do more on this. I think we'll have Jess back on at some point to do a non-dualism discussion, because he's big into non-dual meditation, and it's a, a really interesting topic. To get off into once you've got this groundwork laid but i think that's a good start that's great uh all right shall we move on to hero of the week oh yes is
1: that what you think you are a hero saved the world didn't i once talk to me after you've done it a couple more times all right so who do we got so we're actually gonna do something a little different uh, Aaron and i talked about like does the hero need to be a sentient being and uh, we don't think so. So our hero of the week is Graham Cassidy. The bill itself. The bill itself. Right. Let's talk about how awesome this bill is. Right. We
0: could use Lindsey Graham because he's not sentient, but we'll go with the bill. We'll do the bill.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, here's my favorite part of all of this. My favorite part is the bill is so bad. It goes so far that even Ted Cruz doesn't want to vote for it. Yep. Even Ted Cruz has mixed feelings. Even Mr. Cruz himself—I don't think doesn't. he actually has feelings. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, but no. Even Ted Cruz was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it."
0: Yeah, and this appears to be still remains to be doa. I, I'm so angry at this point that we have to like continue to remind our senators that we still don't want them to kill us. But this appears to be where the situation is. Uh, I think Collins is against it now. McCain. Uh, Rand Paul and Lisa Murkowski, the stone-cold
1: senator from Alaska. I It's so hilarious. Like, usually there's some bill, and it's terrible. And we go, all right, well, let's uh, maybe talk about it some more. Then it gets more moderate more moderate, you know, regardless of who brings it in. Except this bill has gotten worse on each iteration. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And they thought the solution this time was they were
0: just going to outright bribe the couple of senators that they need, and they tried to bribe Lisa fucking Murkowski, and Lisa Murkowski's just like, go fuck yourself. I, I want a write-in ballot. People spelled Murkowski's last name. I find that hilarious. Yeah, right? Do you know the statistics that it would take to fucking get a bunch of people to learn the word Murkowski? I wouldn't get it right. I'm terrible yeah. at this. Yeah. But a bunch of drunk Alaskans got it right, so congratulations. She's. I mean, it sounds
1: like the name sounds white, so they probably did you know a little bit of effort to try to learn how to spell it. She's like primary. Do it, do it.
0: (laughs) Come at me, bro. Yeah. So this bill is great. It's it's such a voidy bill. They've just made it worse and worse to try to cater to some terrible people, and it's gone nowhere. And it's it's so indicative of this entire administration's attempts to have any sort of policy.
1: What's really awesome is, like, the Republicans have backed themselves into this corner where if they vote for the bill, then people like us are going to bitch at them for voting for a bill like this. If they don't vote for the bill, then they have people on the right who are going to bitch at them for not voting for that, for not repealing Obamacare. Like, it's hilarious how, like, they are backed into this corner and can't do a fucking thing about it.
0: Yeah. Turns out when you win elections by promising something that you have zero capacity to deliver for seven years, it doesn't work out. It goes poorly for you. And like, I'm happy to find that out. It's a real beautiful silver lining in an otherwise shitty week of news. But yeah, it's, it, it shouldn't be unsurprising. If we didn't live in the void, it wouldn't be surprising that this is going exactly as poorly as it should. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes all of it, those things. Be, because it is a god-fucking-awful... Like, like what, in the news today, they were having to remove um, activists uh, with disabilities from the Senate chamber so that they could continue
1: to discuss their murder care bill. Right. I, there was it's something insane. interesting that they said on Pod Save America, which I thought was interesting. They, so when the, the... Oh, what was it? The uh, continuing resolution, the debt ceiling bill, right, uh-huh. when that got passed with the NDAA they uh, they expected that to be a fight that was gonna take the whole month and mm-hmm. tr- with Trump going like yep we'll go with that three months good right uh, that opened up the whole month and so I think that, Graham Cassidy, they were probably like, hey, well, we don't have much to do. Let's let's try this Obamacare repeal yeah, again. Yeah. And and they threw it together. The CBO isn't going to get a chance to sort of properly go through the motions right. uh, and have the, uh, the proper data for it, which is why some of the Republicans are, are not too happy with it. Uh, the ones that are actually fiscal conservatives. Uh, and it's hilarious. Like, it's just it's so slapdash.
0: Yeah. I'm not I'm not too worried about the fact that that, that that argument from Pod Save America about clearing the decks. I think I think we can see that there's no structure or rhyme or reason to the Republicans' legislative agenda right now. I think, you know, maybe they're gonna try to push through tax cuts for the rich yet, but like their base doesn't give a shit about tax cuts for the rich as much anymore. It's not it's not a selling point as much for them. So they're they're in this really weird position. And in the meantime, I'm hoping the Democrats will just start to pressure them about the public option over and over and over again forever, and try to get Donald Trump to buy in on a public option idea.
1: Well, what's what's really interesting is they, you know, they went eight years essentially running on just an opposition, being an opposition party. And when you do opposition, you don't really need a strong leader, right? They had what was it, sixteen people that were running for uh, uh, the presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have no strong leader. Like I haven't heard. Um, Ryan in forever like he's just been like sort of yep. MIA lately for the most part and yeah. we have no strong leader and that's why we get these shit bills that's why they can't fucking pass healthcare that's why they can't do yeah. a goddamn thing I mean I did hear uh, maybe you heard this I, I can't confirm it for sure or not but that they were going to expand the ban to include like North Korea and a couple of other places Where I don't know if that's, that that was official or not
0: I believe that that is the case, that they
1: have expanded to include North Korea and Venezuela. And one, I thought it was, I thought it was three places. Um, I can't remember where I, I heard, heard it though. I, heard third thing. I think they mentioned it on the daily, but I, I missed it.
0: Yeah, I mean, at this point, their party is led by Myrtle the Turtle. <laughs> most, just murder of the turtles senior, all the way down. Most senior fucking officials fucking yeah, yeah. <laughs> and boy he has done nothing. He has just really <laughs> fucked this whole thing over. Other than, other than Gorsuch, right? He got Gorsuch and we are going to mm-hmm. be screwed by that for a long time. But beyond that, uh, yeah. I, I think we should continue to be anxious though because like you said, they have backed themselves into a corner and that makes them very dangerous. So okay. I think... The fact that we have constantly been on the precipice of passing these horrifying pieces of legislation tells you how desperate they are that they're willing to to make that faustian bargain so uh i don't i don't want to say for sure that this is all dead and settled when it seems like they're willing as soon as they have no one's attention to try to pass stuff over and over again that we know that people don't want
1: yeah i don't know why like no one in like a mainstream, not mainstream, not way. someone with big, way bigger platforms than you or I. I am surprised that I haven't heard anyone, except I think maybe Bill Maher said it, but I don't know. Uh, how is no one seeing the pattern of us going, oh, well, that's not going to like, well, that's the end of it. And it hasn't been. Like, we've been saying that for over a year with Trump. Oh, well, that's going to be the end of him. That's going to be the end of him. Well, that's the last time they're going to try healthcare. Oh, but that's the last time. Oh, this is the last time. Oh, that's going to be, like, we keep thinking that's the finale of any one thing. And it never fucking is. Like, everything keeps going, keeps escalating. Like, we think, like, oh, there's no way that Trump is going to say anything more about Football, and then he fucking does, right?
0: I mean it's two it's two methods of solving a no-win situation, right? Their solution is to stick on this one issue that was at least good for them politically, even if they're failing to pass anything on it, because what are their options? Move to immigration, like that's gonna go better for them. Uh, or the other method is the Donald Trump method, which is talk about football and like talk about anything that isn't the fact that your legislative agenda is just failing miserably. Yeah, Just do it. Do anything. Do anything to to boost your your narcissistic self
1: love again. Oh, and can we please fucking talk about Kushner's emails? Oh, uh, why? Is it is it a big deal? Are emails oh. an important thing? Oh, the hypocrisy! I, I am like I didn't know that emails were a thing. Is that a thing? I did you not hear about this? About Kushner emails? used his no, private email. Looking. Of course, I know about fucking Kushner's email. Okay, okay. From henceforth. Yeah. For the rest of this fucking podcast, mm-hmm. I'm gonna start off. You're gonna do your usual intro thing, and I'm gonna start off and ask, Well, what about his emails? What,
0: but, 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 but his emails?
1: What about Kushner's emails? Like yeah. until I hear I'll stop saying it the moment that I hear Fox, someone on Fox go, Yeah, what about his emails, his private emails? Like the moment I hear someone on Fox say that in a non ironic way, I will stop asking about Kushner's emails.
0: I don't even care. Just get to the part with the collusion. Like, for the love of God, please indict. And like, from what we understand, Manafort's going to get indicted soon, and then we'll see where this is going next, if we don't go to war first, which is a big if, I think. But what about uh, his emails? But what but what about his emails? But what about... At least we got healthcare for another day. Mostly. A little bit. Not really. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> mostly. Mostly. <laughs>
1: Um,
0: Before we wrap up, I want to say for next time, we've got some friends of the show that I'm really excited about coming on. We've got Natalie Newell from the science enthusiast podcast and Jeremiah Traeger from the SJW circle jerk podcast, uh, two individuals with uh, a lot of thoughts about something that I care a lot about, which is the topic of scientism. We've talked about that some, and you've, you've been interested in hearing some more about that. So we're going to, we're going to get them on, and it's an issue that I think can divide a lot of the atheist secular community, and certainly puts me at odds with a lot of atheists sometimes, who will make some very weird arguments as a result. So we're going to get into talking about that some.
1: Yeah, we like to be uh, divisive in the void. Yeah, well, we got
0: to stir some shit to get fans. We can't just be doing Buddhism all the time. It's, it's true. Buddhism doesn't put the numbers up on the board, is what I'm saying. I know yeah. some, some of you want to hear this philosophy stuff, but really, we've got to argue with some people eventually.
1: Yeah, this is true. Oh, we also uh, need to uh, give a shout out to our first ever hate mail from Brian Masters. He sent <laughs> us an a, a email and it just said, hate mail. I'm pretending <laughs> to be offended b- about the kid fucking joke. Nice diversion blaming Eli. Nice. All right. Almost real
0: hate mail. We're close. I think this next one's going to be it. I think I can say some shit about science that's going to get somebody angry with me. Yeah. I'm going to work real hard for that next episode. And if you're looking forward to that and you're excited and you've already donated to Puerto Rico and you've already helped other people out and you really want our thing to come sooner, maybe consider dropping us a bucket Patreon so that we could start doing this thing once a week. That'd be super cool. You said come sooner. Come sooner. <laughs> not, not too soon, just the right amount of time. Yeah. Right? Balance it.
1: Middle of the road. Right. <laughs> We'd like to thank our new patrons, Laura Van Brom-Stewart and David at theramblingblog.com. We also want to give a special thank you to our top patrons. That would be Jesse Rubinowitz and Dave Maslich. And we also want to give a double thank you for Laura because she is also, I'm assuming she, is also a Duke patron at $5. So thank you both so much. If you want to become a patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. You can also leave us a review at iTunes or any of the other podcasting apps. As always remember, you are the void, the void is you.